Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a good weekend, got adjusted to the time change. Two things every time we change time, that especially in the fall, that stands out to me. One, every time I think I have all my clocks changed, I'll invariably find one or two more that I forgot. And two, how quickly that extra hour sleep is a distant memory. <laughs> like I've already adjusted and... Uh, I'm wondering where'd that extra hour go, but uh, hope you got the changes all made and ready to go for another week here, and here's what we'll start off the week talking about, weather. Here we are in the month of November, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson will be with us, still some harvest out there that needs to get done, we'll talk about that. We'll talk a lot about trade today with Paul Drazik, managing partner with DTB Associates. Paul's been involved with trade issues for a number of years in different capacities. He'll give us good perspective today. And uh, also, we're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. What are the markets focused on right now? And, um, you know, what about the potential, the, the talks coming up uh, with China? How much can we uh, expect of a bounce on just the hope of those talks? We'll get into all that with Arlen Suderman uh, a little bit later on. But right now, we're happy to start things off with the editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications, Sarah Wyatt. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm talking to you from Fargo this morning, so uh, experiencing a little bit of uh, the nice, uh, crisp preview win. <laughs> and you'll be headed to Kansas City this week, like a lot of us will, right, for the National Association yeah. Farm Broadcasting Convention. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. And, uh, of course, so many people from Washington will be there as well for trade talk. And we got plenty to talk about, don't we? We have a lot to talk about, and of course, we'll be talking a lot about what happens tomorrow with the election. You've done some polling, kind of interesting to take the temperature, especially of rural America, heading into the vote tomorrow. We did a nationwide survey of 600 farmers who have at least 50000 in gross farm income, and then went all the way up to very large farmers of uh, greater than 2,000 acres. It was a pretty good cross-section of commercial growers that we called uh, with Aimpoint Research helping run the survey from October 12th to the 28th. And so this is really the most recent hope, so to speak, of what farmers and ranchers are feeling about the Trump administration. And you know, Mike, you're probably like me. You hear a lot of folks saying that we're really fed up with these low prices and uh, we need to do more on trade. And certainly selling more products overseas was one of the top concerns of the farmers that we talked to. But still, a whopping 79% said they still support President Trump and they're really willing to stick with him. So I think that's a, a little different than what some people might have expected. Yeah, I, I find that fascinating, really interesting, that continued support, uh, despite where the ag economy is right now. Does that say a lot about what they feel President Trump may yet do, or does it say something about what they think uh, uh, they're not seeing from the other side that they think that they would do any better? Well, I think we all know that going into the presidential election, there was no candidate at the top that supported continuation of TPP. 
So I think there was a realization that something was going to change there regardless. I don't think there was an expectation that we would have tariffs, even though the president was quite strong during the campaign, as was Bernie Sanders, that things needed to be changed. So there was an expectation that things were going to happen on trade. Uh, I think that there's a feeling right now of at least the farmers I talked to, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, that they might not like everything this administration has done on trade because uh, tariffs have historically not gone well for the farm sector. They've uh, cut off some of our markets, but they believe that nothing else in the past has worked very well. So let's give them a little bit more time and see if he can get some deals done. Now, obviously, the NAFTA agreement has been redone with some advantages for wheat growers, dairy but basically doing no harm. Of course, it's not ratified yet, and what happens on the uh, Tuesday will probably tell us a lot about whether it will be in Congress. Uh, but, you know, we've got NAFTA now as a win for the administration. Uh, they can claim chorus, even though most of that renegotiation was not about ag. Uh, and now um, they're willing to give the president apparently a few more months to see if he can knock this uh, China deal out. Um, and you all have seen what happened last week, that at least there was a phone call with President Xi, and uh, hopefully uh, their conversation at the G20 meeting in Argentina at the end of this month will be a little bit more than another <laughs> Twitter feed. Yeah. It seems like it's a, the confidence is in what still could come, because really, as you mentioned, the new NAFTA, it's not approved yet, and it's not really certain how much of a win it is for agriculture, maybe just kind of keep what we had. The E-15 announcement is an announcement. Nothing's really happened there yet. We don't know if it'll be done by next summer. We have the trade tensions with China with hope that things will get worked out. I mean, uh, we, you know, we hope WOTUS will get uh, done away with and changed, but it hasn't yet. So really, there's not I mean, there's a lot of talk about how much has been done, but really not a lot has been done, but there's a hope that it'll still get done. Yeah, and I think part of that stems from, you know, being a farm kid myself, you you tend to be on the glass half full side of things. You wake up every morning and think things are going to go as best as can be expected. You have that natural optimism that a lot of farmers carry with them. But it's not to say that our survey didn't reveal some concerns. And I think both Republicans and Democrats can look at that list in, in both reads and different things into it. Um, you know, top of our concern list was selling more farm products overseas, but secondarily protecting against acts of terror that is terrorism, which I think is also linked to illegal immigration. But making health care more affordable, which has been a top issue for almost every Democratic candidate, uh, was, on, you know, about two-thirds of a point below that. Um, and so, you know, that wasn't at the top of the list. Neither was passing a farm bill, although if you look at the top five, that's where the, that's where we stand. So uh, you can interpret those things as what are some of the core issues. And I have to say, Mike, that regardless of who we surveyed, when we surveyed them, reducing regulatory burdens scores very high. And so that's been another thing where uh, I think farmers have perceived that Republicans and certainly President Trump has tried to do more in that area. And um, you'll see from some of the opinion pieces that have been written by the Democrats on our website recently that they want to find ways to reach out to more farm country and reclaim the support that they did have a couple of decades ago. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, dynamic right now to see uh, 
see how that plays out. Tomorrow will tell us a lot, that's for sure. And then get back to work, get that lame duck session going. Can they get that farm bill done yet before the end of the year? Well, as always, Sarah, thank you. We look forward to reading more. Uh, we encourage people to go check out the, the polling that you've done, that research, as we head into the election tomorrow. See you in Kansas City. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Sarah Wyatt, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Yeah, big day tomorrow. Maybe a while before we know all the results uh, from some of those key races uh, around the country, but uh, certainly will have an impact for some time to come, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out tomorrow. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Still some harvesting to get done out there. What kind of weather is it going to be like as we have this first full week of November? We'll also get his longer-term forecast as well. Bryce Anderson next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Remember when Hillary Clinton trashed us? If you look at the map of the United States, there's all that red in the middle where Trump won. She called us deplorable, sexist, racist, homophobic. Billy Sutton endorsed Hillary Clinton, campaigned for her. Now he's spending millions trying to make us forget. But it was Democrat Billy Sutton who proposed a state income tax. Why no discussion about a personal income tax. Sutton, who embraced the policies of Bernie Sanders. I like the policies of, of Bernie. Sutton, who said Democrats are right on the issues. Democrats are right on the issues. Open borders, amnesty for illegals, planned parenthood, and the $32 trillion government takeover of health care. Studies show will double income taxes, bankrupt Medicare, and threaten veterans' benefits. Billy Sutton believes Democrats are right on the issues. Democrats are right on the issues. And that makes him too liberal, too risky for South Dakota. Paid for by Christie for Governor. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, here we are, first full week of November, starting to see those weather changes. And Bryce Anderson, DTM meteorologist, joins us now. Bryce, when you talk to farmers that are done with harvest, they look at the weather right now and they say, boy, I'm glad glad we're done, glad it's all finished. Uh, but we know some are not, and there's still some harvesting to do. What kind of weeks is it going to be for them this week ahead? I think it's going to be pretty decent, Mike. Uh, there's uh, some rain moving through the western Corn Belt, especially today, and uh, that's complicated or um, that is mixed in, I should say, with some snow in the northern plains. But after we get through uh, tomorrow, especially tomorrow morning, uh, this pattern is looking drier, uh, particularly in the western uh, Midwest during the balance of the uh, next uh, week to 10 days. And uh, so I, I think that's going to be pretty decent. Along with that, it is going to get pretty cold. Uh, temperatures are going to get down into the low 20s during the overnight hours. And so for uh, areas that are, are still wet, uh, field patches that actually could benefit for harvest uh, by having the ground freeze, I think that uh, that's in the cards. And it's uh, going to, I think, uh, you know, certainly be uh, pretty good. Now, there's going to be some uh, possible heavy rain in the Ohio Valley and the eastern Midwest, and that's where there could be some uh, some problems with uh, some latter stages of harvest. But the eastern Midwest, of course, had a much better start. And so uh, on balance, uh, I have to look at the pattern as being a, a pretty favorable one. Um, corn harvest uh, should be around maybe 80% finished in the report this afternoon, and uh, soybean harvest right around 86 87% finished. How does the rest of November look? It's uh, looking pretty good, and actually all the way through the, uh, you know, the week of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is early this year, uh, it's going to be pretty much on the dry side. Uh, we've got this cold upper air trough that is pretty well going to dominate the uh, weather pattern, the weather picture, all the way through this week and then even into the uh, first to middle part of next week. But as that trough uh, kind of rotates through the uh, continental U.S. It is going to focus uh, moisture in the Gulf Coast and then through the Atlantic seaboard primarily. And on the back side of that, we're going to get winds that will eventually be more out of the west by about the uh, middle part of next week. And so that's uh, going to be a little bit more of a zonal airflow to it. But along with that, uh, there's going to be uh, very little in the way of uh, any new round of uh, moisture moving northward out of the Gulf of Mexico to complicate things. And, and so I think that, again, thinking about the, the need for uh, some, uh, some days of uh, drier and milder conditions to take care of things, I think that that is what we have coming on. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, so what's the uh, El Nino status right now? You know, it's, it still is uh, very, very interesting, Mike, in terms of uh, being a little bit hard to identify. The water temperatures in the Pacific continue to trend into the 
the uh, weak El Nino bracket. Uh, the eastern Pacific temperatures are running about uh, one and a half degrees uh, Celsius above average right now, 1.2, I should say. And, and so that's a definite weak El Nino type of uh, temperature reading. But on the other hand, uh, the Southern Oscillation Index, that uh, trade wind feature uh, that is tracked by the Australian Weather Bureau is still just kind of floundering. I mean, it'll go from being a plus four, say, uh, on, on uh, one day to being a uh, minus two the next day and then to about zero the third day. So, I mean, th that feature still is awfully hard to, uh, to truly identify as being anything but neutral. And because of that, uh, I think it still is, uh, is kind of tentative on whether El Nino is truly going to get into uh, action, so to speak, until the very end of this month of November. And uh, the longer that it delays in terms of actually developing, I think that that uh, also means that its influence overall is going to be still uh, fairly limited as we go into the winter season. Hmm. All right, let's... Uh look around the world let's start in south america where you've been telling us they've had pretty good conditions uh how are things looking right now they're still they're still doing quite well brazil is going to have rainfall this week totaling probably three to five inches in uh, Mato grosso and goyas and planting has been moving along well uh the uh reported uh, planting pace uh from the ag rural uh group in brazil last week <coughs> excuse me as of last weekend was 60% uh, done on soybean planting. That was up from 43% a week ago, and it's almost 20 points ahead of the average, uh, which is only 41% uh, for this time in the season. And the way things are going, Mike, Brazil could uh, be starting to, to uh, harvest soybeans in late December instead of, say, about the middle of January. So all of that has been moved ahead by three weeks. And we know that Brazil is on track to have a new record soybean crop and, you know, the way things are going, I would expect that to actually move up a little bit rather than even stay flat. Yeah, the, as you've been telling us, they're going to have beans to hit the market sooner than, than usual. All right, what else, uh, some other key areas around the world? Well, Argentina uh, has had uh, a few periods of rainfall, and right now their soil moisture supply is uh, in, in good shape. Uh, for the early row crops, there have been a little bit of a chance for the wheat areas in Argentina to uh, get hit with uh, some frost over the weekend, but that did not develop. And then in uh, in uh, Russia and Ukraine, uh, the the latest uh, idea on their soil moisture is actually pretty decent. Uh, that that things are are looking pretty favorable for getting their uh, new winter wheat uh, crop established, along with uh, some winter oil seeds. And uh, one note out of India that has come to mind is that the monsoon uh, was really kind of a, an inconsistent performer this year, and it actually is leading to uh, the outlook now from their government that uh, the cotton crop is going to be a little bit below a year ago, even with uh, planting uh, showing a higher acreage. But uh, the moisture just isn't there to really support uh, cotton production the way they would like to in India. So that's been a... Uh, it's going to be an interesting feature to track, particularly with the damage that we know the U.S. cotton crop had from hurricanes this fall season. Yeah, a lot of damage. All right, let's uh, let's get to our winter forecast. What do you see for us? We are still in line, Mike, with the idea that this winter is going to be a colder one over most of the Midwest, with 
El Nino's influence, you know, we talked about uh, how slow it is to get going, with El Nino influence to be uh, pretty limited. And because of that, uh, the polar vortex uh, has a bigger uh, role to play in uh, our winter pattern. And that means that we could get some uh, pretty cold shots during this winter with several periods of snowfall. And if anything, that colder trend is going to especially show up in February and then on into March. And so the the message for me there is that uh, the fieldwork season of 2019 may have a little bit slower start than we'd like to see because of late winter type of cold patterns that move in and and keep the ground from warming up and everything to get in shape to uh, get field work going next spring. Like we had this spring? It could be. It could be on, on that uh, on that order. I think, if anything, that that maybe some of the delays could be focused maybe a little bit farther east than they were this spring. Hmm. Yeah, the emphasis more and more of the move is to earlier planting, but uh, that's not always a working out with the Mother Nature, although some go ahead and uh, do it even in the colder weather. But uh, as I was going to ask you if you thought we were going to have that, you know, that uh, late spring again this year as far as being able to get to the field. Sounds like you think we will. What about snowfall during uh, this winter? Is this going to be a heavier than uh, average snow I think it is winter? going to. I think it is going to be that, uh, particularly from the uh, eastern Dakotas through Minnesota, south into Iowa, catching part of eastern Nebraska, and then into the Great Lakes and uh, northern and central Illinois as well. Uh, so this, uh, you know, that last uh, season snowfall was uh, really not that great. I think that we could see that. Uh, increase a little bit. Uh, There are some pretty powerful analogs for the weather pattern that we could be seeing this winter, including uh, uh, the years of uh, of 1977 and 78, uh, along with the winter of 2009 and 2010. And those were winters where it was cold, and we had some pretty extensive rounds of snowfall to deal with. And so we could be running into that same type of category. So I better kind of tune up the snowblower. Is that what you're saying? I think I think so. I'm going to make sure that mine is uh, working. I had to have the the uh, the flippers, uh, you know, replaced here uh, a couple winters ago. So I'm glad I did that. Uh, it didn't get used a whole lot last winter, but uh, I'll make sure that things are in shape for this one. I've got a new one. I'm not sure I know how to use it, but how do you practice <laughs> until you get a snow anyway? So it you know well, it's well, going to be trial and error, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that's the thing, and. And many and and sometimes you know I've just wound up having the neighbors come over and give me a hand and uh, you know fortunately we still have that uh, type of uh, neighborhood uh, spirit where I live and and so that's been uh, that's been very useful from time to time. I had a neighbor that did that for me, but he moved this year, so I'm on my own this year. All right, thanks, oh, no. Bryce. <laughs> Take care, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, we're going to talk trade next. Paul Drazik with DTB Associates, longtime trade analyst, next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. I'm Billy Sutton. As a West River cowboy, I grew up on my family ranch, working cattle, riding horses, and going to church on Sunday. But on TV, Christy Gnome's trying to make me someone I'm not. I'm a pro gun, fiscal conservative. I worked with Republicans to cut taxes, and I oppose a state income tax. As governor, Growing South Dakota's economy will be my top priority, and I'll work with anyone to get it done, including President Trump. As governor, I'll invest in education so that our schools are preparing our kids for the future. 
I'll invest in career and technical training to make sure that our workers have the skills they need to get good paying jobs so they can provide for their families. And as someone who grew up raising cattle, I'll never forget the crucial role that agriculture plays in our state's economy. I'm Billy Sutton. I see a future for South Dakota that is bright and beautiful. I know that if we work together, tomorrow can be better than today. Paid for by Sutton for South Dakota. It's time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, in soybean futures, we are firm after jumping in the wake of the president's tweets last week that he'd had a very good conversation with his Chinese counterpart. Soybean futures were a little easier in the overnight trade. The one-week gains eroded after White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow told CNBC that the two countries were not on the edge of a new deal. Traders this week will be watching the results of the U.S. midterm elections. Also, USDA's monthly supply-demand report Analysts are expecting perhaps lower corn and soybean production due to crop losses, due to adverse weather. Penny or two better in soybeans an hour into this Monday, January, trading above key short-term moving averages on Friday, the 10-day, 20-day, 40-day moving average. That's a bullish near-term trend signal on the upside. First resistance for January soybeans lies at $9 and three quarters of a cent. In corn, we're trending a penny and a fraction higher. The burden lies on corn bulls to support follow-through buying early this week to keep the focus on higher prices. On the upside, a close above right around 372 to 373 would strengthen the bullish outlook, according to the wire talk. An hour in on Monday, we're at 372 and three quarters, up a penny and a half. A mix in the wheat futures, fractional changes in Minneapolis, one to two lower in Kansas City and Chicago wheat. Live cattle futures are trending 35 to 70 cents lower, 80 to a dollar lower in feeder cattle. Lean hogs, 17 to 70 cents lower. Outside markets, the Dow up 25 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk trade, and we're going to talk with someone I've been talking trade with for many years, Paul Drazik, managing partner with DTB Associates. 
Uh, Paul has been special assistant to the Secretary of Agriculture for International Affairs, and he, uh, before jo- joining the Secretary's staff, he served as Director of Governmental Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, specializing in international affairs and legislative issues affecting U.S. ag trade. And he began his career with USDA's Foreign Ag Service, serving 14 years as a trade policy marketing specialist, and during that time represented the U.S. as a member of the U.S. delegation to the Tokyo round of the GATT multilateral trade negotiations in Geneva, and as ag attache at the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City back in the late 70s, early 80s. Paul, good to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've been doing this for a long time, and here we are faced now with this huge issue with China. Some say, you know, we've been putting this fight off, uh, and, you know, this, things have been building for some time. Now we have it. We're wondering how long it's going to take to, to slug our way through it. Uh, uh, how do you see, uh, how do you assess this trade issue, trade war, whatever you want to call it, with China right now? Well, first, I think I would call it a trade war. Um, I mean, we had a we had a dispute with the European community years ago uh, involving poultry, where we retaliated uh, for what they were doing, and, and we called that the chicken war. So this is by far and away more bigger and uh, more important and perhaps uh, more damaging than, than that. Um, I don't know what's going to happen uh, with respect to China, and, I, and I, I dare say very few people do, if anybody does. Um, the... Uh, best, I think, prospect for a positive outcome is likely to be at an upcoming meeting between President Trump and President Xi Xi of China uh, in late November. Uh, They're due to meet, and I I believe uh, President Trump has invited Xi to dinner. So that could uh, be uh, uh, offer the prospect for some progress. But of course, You know, we've been there before. We've seen these meetings. Uh, We send people to China. They come back, and and there's no real progress, or if anything is agreed to, it's not good enough uh, for President Trump. So I'm going to hold fire on uh, whether this upcoming is going to actually result in a positive outcome. Well, there's always hope if there's talks, and the markets get excited just at the prospect of talks, so we'll see what comes of it. Uh, What's your perspective with your long history uh, in trade, Paul, um, on tariffs? The president says he thinks tariffs are a useful tool in getting things done. Historically, tariffs have not been good for agriculture. Uh, How do you view the use of tariffs in these trade issues? Well... I think they're wrong, um, in part because of the justification that's used for them. Um, It's just very hard for me to understand um, how we can slap tariffs on a lot of countries who are our allies uh, on the basis of steel and and aluminum, for example, and then threaten to do so on automobiles on the basis of national security. it's that that bothers me more than anything, I think, because it seems to me that it's contrary to everything we've, we've stood for in the past. Uh, what I've seen in the past year, uh, and all I ever worked on in my 47 years is agricultural trade. So uh, I, I 
can't remember anything quite like what agriculture is facing these days due to trade. I mean, uh, the, the negative impact on farmers due to trade. The last time was probably the Russia grain embargo, um, and that goes back some years. So it's it's really uh, frustrating and, and depressing to see uh, how these uh, tariffs have come back to haunt uh, our farmers. I, you know, it's interesting. I remember uh, uh, folks in the administration saying that they understand that agriculture is the tip of the spear in these sorts of fights. And I thought that was an interesting uh, but perplexing analogy because to me it, it sounded it should have been described as agriculture as the bullseye for somebody else's spear tip. And that tip is made out of uh, steel or aluminum. So yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I disagree with the idea that we can accomplish very much using tariffs. Uh, seems to me it's uh, maybe two steps back and then hopefully one step forward. Yeah, and moving forward, you mentioned the Russian grain embargo. I mean, we're still in some ways feeling the effects of that still today because it just reshaped so much around the world, brought other players into the the picture, opened up different opportunities for our competitors. Do you see what's happening with China now having uh, that long-term effect moving forward? Well, yes, and not just China. I see countries around the world starting to look uh, to other suppliers for uh, what they've traditionally re- relied on the U.S. for, uh, and that that includes obviously Mexico, but uh, you can see it happening. There are bilateral agreements uh, being negotiated, or at least negotiations taking place between a lot of our competitors and our our key markets. Uh, Japan is out there negotiating away with other countries, and um, uh, actually, uh, you probably know that. The TPP, which we pulled out of, is going to go ahead and go into effect uh, January 1st without us. And that means uh, at least for six countries who have signed on will start lowering their tariffs amongst themselves, including in agriculture. That includes Japan. Uh, but the tariffs in those countries will stay in place on our products. And now hopefully we'll have an agreement with Japan down the road. Uh, but I don't see that happening very quickly. And even if we do, the two sides have already agreed. The administration's already agreed that uh, with Japan that Japan won't have to do anything more in agriculture than they, what, what they agreed to in TPP. So the, the net effect of that is that we could end up getting what we would have gotten in TPP from Japan, and only Japan, uh, but we'll already be several years behind other countries in terms of the phase-out of tariffs. Interesting. We're talking with longtime trade analyst uh, Paul Drazik, managing partner with DTB Associates. All right, Paul, what's your assessment of USMCA? Yeah, that's uh, that's the, the uh, NAFTA 2.0, or I'm afraid uh, what it might ought to be called is NAFTA 1.1, <laughs> because I don't see that this agreement has uh, really – advance the ball very far with respect to liberalizing trade uh, or improving trade relations with uh, Mexico and and Canada, uh, especially given the fact that uh, the retaliatory tariffs that uh, Mexico and Canada have imposed on us are still in place. And so as far as that goes, um, until they're removed, and hopefully they will be soon, uh, probably, hopefully, before the uh, agreements are actually signed by the respective uh, leaders of the countries. Um, 
until that happens, uh, we're still worse off than we were with respect to our, our trade with those countries. You know, it seems like many of the ag groups I talk with feel relieved that uh, we kind of kept what we had. Dairy's still looking at it, thinking maybe we gained a little, but not sure if we gained as much as uh, uh, as it's being portrayed. So, I mean, we're kind of still waiting on the details, but it looks like from an agricultural standpoint, there weren't a lot of gains in the deal. No, uh, sadly, there really weren't. Of course, uh, frankly, it, it would be kind of hard to get better than what we had on the original NAFTA for, for agriculture. I was, by the way, I was looking back uh, at some historical information uh, about what uh, the agriculture sector was saying about the original NAFTA back in 1993, and uh, what you know, trade agreements tend to get overhyped by the uh, supporters. And agriculture was a big supporter back then. But it's interesting, uh, there was a, a press release that they put out uh, way back then uh, that said that uh, they, they expected that NAFTA would increase the U.S. agricultural exports by $10 billion in 10 years. Well, in reality, they increased $15 billion in those 10 years. So we actually did better. Uh, pork, for example, they were saying we they estimated we would increase exports by $440 million, and pork exports went up a billion dollars in those 10 years. So the original NAFTA was pretty good, so it's kind of hard to improve on it, uh, except in the case of dairy and poultry and, and some uh, a few other items. But uh, dairy, uh, I think they're still sort of sitting back and waiting to see what, you know, the details and analyzing it all. Uh, the president was uh, talking about the 270% tariff on, on dairy coming into, into Canada, and uh, in the end, that tariff wasn't touched. They didn't reduce it at all. They only increased the uh, percentage of consumption uh, of dairy products allowed in from the U.S. duty-free, and uh, that was a, an increase of only 0.34% over what we would have gotten in TPP. So it was, it's small, um, but it's positive. And like you say, uh, most of agriculture was saying going in, at least do no harm. And except for the fact that the steel tariffs are retaliation is still in place, uh, this, this agreement really wouldn't do any harm. Yeah, always interesting to see how the, uh, the parties that are negotiating, how they all spin it, and then they look at the actual realities and the details uh, uh, a lot of times it's two different uh, stories, so you have to look closely at those uh, the, those details. And we're still waiting on some of those details uh, in, in the USMCA as they get ready to uh, vote on it, looks like, probably next year. Well, Paul, it's good to talk with you again, and we'll stay in touch. Uh, sounds like we're going to have plenty to talk about for some time to come on these trade issues, so we'll stay in touch with you, okay? Thanks. Absolutely. Take care, Paul. Paul Drazik, Managing Partner for DTB Associates. He's been involved with uh, agricultural trade issues for 47 years. All right, how are the markets taking all this, especially as uh, Election Day looms tomorrow? We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone coming up next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. 866-504-0276. Christy Nome talks about the importance of this election. In my time in Congress, I focused on one thing, results. We passed a new farm bill, disaster relief, historic tax cuts that doubled the child tax credit, and more tools to fight human trafficking. Christy Nome on the future of South Dakota. My opponent and I have very different ideas about the future. He believes in bigger government. I want a government that's more nimble and efficient. He wants to raise taxes, even add a state income tax. I want to improve education and training so we can recruit more companies and better jobs. Christy Nome, the experience to lead. I've built a business. I farmed and ranched, served as a state legislator, and I've represented you in Congress. Now I'm asking you to let me put that experience to work for you as governor. I'm Christy Nome, asking for your vote. Thank you. Keep South Dakota moving forward. Christy Nome, tested, proven, results for South Dakota. Paid for by Christy for governor. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. 
I'm Billy Sutton. As a West River cowboy, I grew up on my family ranch, working cattle, riding horses, and going to church on Sunday. But on TV, Christy Nome's trying to make me someone I'm not. I'm a pro-gun, fiscal conservative. I worked with Republicans to cut taxes, and I oppose a state income tax. As governor, growing South Dakota's economy will be my top priority, and I'll work with anyone to get it done, including President Trump. As governor, I'll invest in education so that our schools are preparing our kids for the future. I'll invest in career and technical training to make sure that our workers have the skills they need to get good paying jobs so they can provide for their families. And as someone who grew up raising cattle, I'll never forget the crucial role that agriculture plays in our state's economy. I'm Billy Sutton. I see a future for South Dakota that is bright and beautiful. I know that if we work together, tomorrow can be better than today. Paid for by Sutton for South Dakota. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, joining us now is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thanks for joining us as we kick off another week. What are the markets focused on? Well, there's several things that are key this week. Obviously, we have the elections tomorrow, and I think that'll be critical in determining the direction it would go in uh, the tariff war with China. If President Trump comes out emboldened, I think it uh, uh, he has a stronger stance toward uh, a deal with China and uh, may hold out for a stronger deal. Uh, if he comes out weakened, he may be looking for uh, lowering that standard a little bit just to get a deal and to move on. And then we have a USDA crop report on Thursday. The trade looking for a modest reduction in corn and soybean yields. That would communicate to the trade that maybe the worst of the fundamental news has been priced into the market and behind us. And then we also have the Fed meeting, which is moved back a day because of the elections to Wednesday and Thursday. Their statement comes out Thursday, a couple hours after the USDA crop report. That could have significant implications for the dollar and therefore the commodities as well. So overall, this is a week that has a lot of data feeding into the commodity markets. It could set the tone for the next 30 to 60 days. Yeah, a lot to watch this week. Now, we're also uh, uh, watching the talks later this month uh, with China. Uh, just, I mean, the markets are so starved for something positive when it comes to China that even the uh, an item that says the president may talk with the leaders of China about trade, just the possibility gets people excited. It really does. Keep in mind that before, well, back before about the 24th of May when the the trade war started to ratchet up, uh, commodities overall were very popular with the funds. They were talking commodity inflation, a healthy economy, driving demand for commodities. Uh, And then when the trade war started, that's when they started shorting or selling the commodity sector as a whole and especially the ags. Things started to stabilize in August when we got the trade deal with Mexico, and we started seeing some positive signs that perhaps President Trump's kind of unorthodox tactics were working. Uh, And the market just wants to believe that we're going to get some deals that are going to increase demand. Uh, And so we certainly saw that traded last week, which just initiated by Trump's text. I, or tweet, I'm not all that optimistic that once we get past the election, we won't see this kind of rhetoric kind of fall backward again. 
Uh, I think that uh, China is anxious for a deal, but probably not the kind of deal that President Trump wants. They, they're willing to uh, make a deal to narrow the trade imbalance, but not to do some of the other factors, intellectual property theft and military expansion, particularly in the South China Sea, etc. So we'll have to see after the election how the rhetoric changes or whether we do continue to move forward towards something at the end of the month in uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, when they meet. Meanwhile, what we're hearing is good weather in South America. It looks like they're ahead of schedule on their planting, and it looks like they'll have probably uh, crops on the market sooner than usual. Yeah, absolutely, and especially in Brazil where planting has been at almost a record pace. That means an earlier harvest. That means soybeans available at the port at some point in January to start making the trek across the ocean toward China. So that narrows the window that China has to go without soybeans if they continue to block soybeans from the United States. Uh, That works a little bit advantage to China. How much are we getting into China through other countries? Can we tell? Not a lot directly. What we are seeing is uh, countries like Argentina uh, that is, is exporting more soybeans than what they would have and then importing U.S. soybeans to crush for their local industry. Uh, U.S. soybeans have a different look to them. Keep in mind it's not the tariffs that are keeping U.S. soybeans out of China. It is the fear that the government has put on those feed buyers. They're afraid to do anything that would suggest that U.S. soybeans are coming into the country, even if they're willing to pay the tariff. And so they're very reluctant to do an end around. Now, we are seeing soybeans go into places like Vietnam, where they can be processed, and perhaps that meal can then make its way into China. But the buyers themselves are afraid to buy to import anything because U.S. soybeans have a different look to them than what South America's soybeans do. But still, all indications are we're shaping up to have more corn acres next year and fewer soybean acres, right? Yeah, and the question is how many? Uh, Of course, USDA gave their outlook at the end of last week and calling for a a 2 to 3 million acre increase in corn and and, uh, close to about a 6 million decrease in soybeans. Uh, Our numbers would suggest that the the reduction in soybeans is a little bit less than that, but at this point, you know, that's academic um, because a lot of changes with the tide of the ebb and flow of the market sentiment is probably going to happen between now and next spring when planning comes. Either way, I think the expectation is and the need is that we reduce soybean acres because even without this tariff war with China, we were producing too many soybeans. And we've got a lot in storage right now, corn and beans. Any, uh, you see any rally coming up, anything that maybe even if it's only short-term to give a selling opportunity here? Well, when you look at U.S. soybeans priced a little more than $2 cheaper than what Brazilian supplies are, uh, if the market becomes confident, and particularly if we see a confidence come from an announcement that we're close to a deal or something, Chinese feed buyers feel the comfort level to go ahead and buy, they would have an incentive to buy as many soybeans as quickly as they could. So we could get a sharp correction upward into the market. Um, and then once that happens, um, there's a ton of soybeans out there in the countryside waiting to be sold against that rally. So 
Uh, that sharp increase in demand would certainly be good for the markets, could give us a big reaction because the Friday CFTC report showed that the funds had built some very large short positions into the market that would want to probably unwind those short positions. The question then is how far, how hard would that rally be sold? I think it would be fairly significantly sold by the U.S. farmer and then eventually by the funds as well as they realize that we've taken ending stocks from somewhere in the upper 800s to somewhere in the six or 700s. Yeah, big week ahead. Arlen, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. The election, the Fed meeting, uh, USDA numbers, this, a lot uh, this week for the markets to, uh, to digest, and we'll see how they react. Thanks for being with us today. Hope you'll join us tomorrow on Adams on Agriculture.